What keeps you going? Where do you get your motivation? Whether you just want to be the best you can be or the best there ever was, we're here to keep you inspired. Conversations with today's top fitness influencers, coaches, athletes, and bodybuilding professionals. This is Inspired Fitness. Here's your host, Sean Futerer. Welcome to the Inspired Fitness Podcast. This episode is sponsored by Flexigenics. Every year, thousands of people undergo unnecessary joint and knee surgeries. Flexigenics was created to offer the very best in non-surgical solutions that allow you to get back to doing the activities you love. Before deciding on surgery, schedule a consultation and explore non-surgical options. I have personal experience with Flexigenics to treat osteoarthritis and tendon damage. I can confidently endorse their hyaluronic acid and PRP solutions. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Inspired Fitness Podcast. I'm joined today by my co-host, IFBB Pro, Kimberly Helm, along with our very special guest. He's been two-time Team of the Year, three-time Tour Champion, Sports Person of the Year. He's a three-time Olympian and is responsible for what has been called the biggest upset in Olympic beach volleyball history. You know him as the Lion King. He's pro volleyball player, Alexander Samolovs. You can find Alexander on Instagram using at Samolovs. That's S-A-M-O-I-L-O-V-S. Alexander, how you doing? Hi, guys. (laughs) Thanks for having me. You're in the Netherlands this week at an event. Yeah, I'm in Rotterdam right now, and uh, we are playing quarterfinals later in the evening. And yeah, I just came from practice, so you got me straight uh, during event. Usually it's hardest part before the tournament when, when you play in the evening, like all the day waiting for a game. Usually time goes so slow and uh, if I have something I can do. Yeah, we are okay. playing King of Accord World Championship right now in Rotterdam. So the final tournament, biggest tournament of King of Accord. It's beach volleyball, new format. And they tried to, to make it Olympic sport, Olympic discipline as a part second medal complex for uh, beach volleyball. And they're trying to get it uh, into Los Angeles. Oh, wow. You'll have to share some more information about that when we're, when we're done here. But, so I just mentioned the, the Olympic match. This is the 2008 Beijing Olympics. Long time ago. <laughs> Long time ago, yeah. But you're, you were responsible for the upset against the American team, Phil Dalhauser and Todd Rogers, who were favored to take gold that year. And you beat them in the first round. Yeah, so me and my partner, Martin Flavins, we were the last team to qualify for Olympics. We were running the last uh, wagon. Yeah, we, and we were the youngest team in beach volleyball history. We both were just turned 23. And we played opening match. So after Olympic opening, next day on Sunday, it was the first sport for our national team. Our uh, like Olympic team for Latvia was only 56 athletes. So everyone was watching and it was opening match of a beach volleyball Olympics. And we are last seeded. We play number one seeded, uh, who was, I think they were six tournaments undefeated before Olympics. And then and we beat them uh, 2-0. We played like amazing match without zero mistakes. And they, for sure, they had the huge pressure because everyone, media, fans, themselves, federation, they're waiting gold medal from them. So for Dachhauser, it was the first Olympics. So I think he was a little bit shaky. But anyway, after that game, my, my father, who was uh, our team coach, he came to Roger Dahlhauser and said, like, guys, don't worry, you will win Olympics anyway. And that's what happened later in the tournament. They won. Amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. 
at 23 years old, this had to be an amazing feeling for you. Do you, do you remember what you felt in that moment when you, when you won that, that first match? Yeah, it was like a dream and uh, everything worked smoothly. But the biggest like, feeling I have in my mind, if you've seen movies, The Gladiator, yes. and, uh, <laughs> the moment as I enter the Coliseum, so for sure, uh, Hollywood knows how to show this and the emotion with the music. So it was approximately the same. So we are standing under uh, the stadium, doors are shut down. We are waiting. You just heard the vibrations of a huge stadium, 12,000 people, music, mascot, cheerleaders and DJs screaming. And when they open the door, you enter the stadium, you just, your partner tosses you, you ball, you you go on that, you smash first attack, and then like 12,000 people like, boom, with your spike, <laughs> and it just goosebumps everywhere. And you know, Yeah, so in this kind of moment, if you struggle, you struggle really, really bad. If everything works well, you have hot hands, and that, that's what happened with us. Like everything won with, with emotion, you just keep going, keep going, and you have this courage. That's one of the things that I know you for. I mean, you've been doing this for a long time, and I'm sure you have a favorite match that you've won somewhere along the way. What's that one? So for sure, the, this uh, first my uh, first Olympic match was uh, number one. But the biggest match was 2013 in uh, South Africa. That was a week when Nelson Mandela died. They canceled for Sundays. They canceled all entertainment and sport events. So on Saturday, we had to play four matches instead of two. So we had to play one eight, uh, quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals. And it was so hot. Like Celsius was 35 degrees. I don't know how much in Fahrenheit. We started six in the morning and to play four matches, like sand was burning. And this was a tournament we fight with Brazil for the first place in the world ranking. We were so close. So one team, if Brazil would uh, beat us by two spots, if we are third and they are first in the tournament, uh, they will win. But we were leading. And we played them in the semifinal, but the match before, after quarterfinals, I, uh, I went in an ice bath. I sit too long, so I get out from an ice bath. My partner said, okay, I go to the room, take a nap, eat lunch. And after two hours, I come back and we start to warm up and prepare for a semifinal against Brazil. And I just get out from this ice bath and I start really bad cramping. Like all my body, like neck, my abs, back, everything, I crawl to the medical room, I said to the physios, like I'm cramping really bad. So they started to give me electrolytes and like for two hours I was cramping. Oh, Four no. people were trying to make a massage so I can relax. And, and then when they had idea, they bring a kettle and they put hot water on the towels and they started to put really boiling water on my muscles so they can relax. So two hours I was in medical room cramping really bad. So I said to physios that probably I will withdraw. So like really bad as so like, but it's so important match. And then somehow I started to move and uh, started to like blood circulation. And they said, okay, maybe just now try to stand. So they helped me, I, I stand and I said like, and now you have to move. You can't stop, you can't sit, you can lie. Yeah, so all the time you have to move. And when you're moving, you will have your blood circulation going and probably you wouldn't cramp. So I was walking one hour around the court. My partner came from a hotel, like already having enough. So like, where have you been? They're like, ah, oh, Janice, don't ask. <laughs> Long story. <laughs> so, Long story. Yeah. <laughs> so we started to warm up because two, we already had two matches. And it was third day of the tournament. We already played two matches in the morning. Two hours I was cramping, so my legs were so tired. We start to warm up. My jump is 
barely I can get out of the sand. Brazilian sees that I can like something wrong. Like I can't move, I can't jump. So they were like trying to serve on me, like really like so precise. I just stand close to the line. My partner took 90% of the court and I was just receiving all the time because our style, we try, me and Smedins, we playing uh, all the time when receiving straight, not like reception, set, attack, we were always playing reception and attack on two without the block. So this is our strategy. So I was all the time receiving him on second and he was playing amazing. He's like, ah, okay, we have nothing to lose, let's go. And he played unbelievable match. And I think I, I was attacking maybe one out of three balls and some barely like underhands in the fingers and Brazil's were shocked. They see like, I can't do anything, but nothing worked for them. And we won that match and it was like emotionally the toughest match and uh, and it, it guaranteed us slice in, in the first rank. Uh, that's, that's incredible story. So you were actually the first team from Latvia to ever be ranked number one in the world. What is... And, a second, is... and I think it was, and we were second European in the history wow. before. Now, now Norway, most of them have been a few years already, like I think four years, they're number one in the world rank. What was it like for you to be first in Latvia, second in Europe, to hold this title? Like, it made you a national hero. It was really big for beach volleyball in our country because before we were practicing in the winter, so you know our climate is not really good in Latvia for uh, like Scandinavian countries. So if people ask what is climate in Latvia, so it's the same as in Canada, Toronto, probably the same climate. So you can understand that. Beach volleyball, we can play, if you're a fanatic, maybe you can play five months. But normal people, like amateurs, they can play three or four months a year. You can play, and then you can play in the sand socks or in the thermo. And when it's snowing, you can't normally play. So you have to travel to the warmer places. When we qualify to Olympics, they, the, the guys build first indoor facility in the capital in Riga. And when we started, when we become the first ranking, uh, they, they build another two. And now we have just in capital uh, in Riga with less than a million people in, in the city. We have five indoor facilities with 29 wow. courts. Wow. And, every, and in every indoor facility is a kid's school with from 80 to 140 kids. So in the four indoor facilities, more than 400 kids doing beach, playing beach volleyball on a regular basis, like all year round. They play in, indoors in winter and outdoors in summer. So now like more and more teams start to come from a younger age. And yeah, nobody have to play, clean the snow at the beach and play in the shoes uh, anymore. So they have this infrastructure. A lot of people say, oh, okay, when I was a kid, I was dreaming to be a number one in the world. When I was a kid, my dream was to go to Olympics, but I wasn't thinking about like being number one in the world because I've, I watch on TV, Brazil, USA play AVP and like Ricardo Emanuel, Zemarco, like all these Brazilian legends. And so like, wow, this is a different world. So I wish I can play against them, but I wasn't dreaming to beat them. I was just keep on working, doing hard job. And before us, before me, me and my partner, when we partnered, uh, none of Latvian team can qualify even to the main draw. They were always losing in qualification. And when we started to play together, my father was a coach, uh, our coach. And he said, we need to, in five years, we need to qualify to Beijing. And my partner, he was libero in, uh, indoor, in our best Latvian uh, indoor team. He came to practice and said, 
in the changing room, he said to his team, like Samala Senior said that we need to qualify to Beijing in five years. He said, like, all the teams started to laugh. What do you mean, Olympics? It's not going to happen. Yeah. What? It's not going to happen. Like. <laughs> and I remember we had in school, we need to write an essay and I wrote that I want to go in Olympics. And everybody was so skeptical. They were like, like beach volleyball is like is Olympic sport. It's like what what, what do you do like at the beach? Is it a sport? It's like, <laughs> and yeah. And then five years, my father believe it. Me and my partner, I don't really think we were like so sure as he was, but we were just working hard, listening to him, never complain, and just doing our work. And it's finally it worked out. And then we just we would just keep keep uh, staying in the race, keep going, keep going. That discipline. Discipline was a key of our success. Your father was instrumental from a support perspective, and it sounds like he took the time to really understand the sport. Right, he he was not just a fan; he really took the time to understand how to help you get there. Yeah, he was pioneer of beach volleyball in、uh, yeah. Latvia. Yeah,、so、he was the first one who won Latvian championship. He was an ex-professional player, and he was always inviting indoor players to the beach to play in the tournaments uh, and. Uh, That's how he learned. He came from small village, and he said his mom worked in a library. And in this library, there was magazines, American magazines about beach volleyball. I don't know how they were there. Somebody bringing them somehow. And he really liked this magazine, so he was learning. There was some techniques, explanations, some、uh, some stuff. So he was learning and then teaching all kids around him. They were putting. String between、uh, trees and playing、uh, over uh, the string、uh, volleyball. He was、I、teaching other、that. kids、yes. how to play, and then、uh, then he went to the university. And he said, like, wow, this was a huge step when there was a team, coach, everyone like working、uh, professionally. So he said, like, I made huge improvement. And then he moved to he went to play in Spain, and、uh, he played against best、uh, Spanish teams, players, and there were like beach. In Spain, was much bigger than in Latvia, so he learned from there. And、uh, when he retired, he came to me and said, "Okay, let's start serious." Yeah, because I was、It's、playing ba- because I was I was playing bad because he was professional players. He was traveling also, and I was playing basketball during school. And they said, "Okay, let's stop with basketball. Let's do <laughs> serious, serious, serious sport." <laughs> did you Did you like basketball? Yeah, I like really. I, I, I like a lot, and、uh, I was doing till nineteen. I was doing two sports at the same time. So in winter, in winter I was studying and playing basketball. During Saturday, Sunday we had games, or if there was the one day off, I was playing at the beach. And then all summer I was at the beach. And I remember we had training camps in basketball in my hometown in Yurmala. And in the morning we have practice basketball. We do some drills. Then was a half day off. I run to the beach. I play all day. I played、uh, beach volleyball, and then I come back to the training camp for a second basketball session. And it was like.、Wow. Two weeks camp, and I was doing like nonstop. I don't know how I survived this, but yeah, you know, when a kid, when you're a kid,、sure. your energy is unlimited, and、uh, what's in recovery? Your, your athleticism, though, right? Now I see like young athletes. I was like, oh, I need to recover. I take day off. So what do you mean day <laughs> off? Just go sleep, eat banana, eat well, sleep well. The next day you're completely fresh. It's like <laughs> you know, there's a funny joke. It's like when you're When you're 20, you party all night. You wake up like you were sleeping all night. When you're 40, you party all night. You wake up like you were partying all night. So when true. You're, <laughs> when you're 60, you sleep all night. You wake up like you are partying all night. <laughs> Sean, do you know anything? You just sound familiar at all. <laughs> It sounds very familiar. So you've obviously you've been an athlete 
all your life. So you know what it takes to train and be yeah. committed and disciplined. What goes into training as a professional volleyball player? Usually our plan was, in, for sure in competition it's different because it depends like what, what's your schedule, but most of the time, two days before tournament, I go, I do explosive exercises, some sprints. So for my Achilles, for calf muscles, for uh, like reaction exercises. So and mostly for sprints because on the court, volleyball court, usually we have rallies eight to 12 seconds and it's really neat you five, five, six steps maximum you do and then you wait so all the time interval and easy practice before the competitions and during competition it depends if i have early match then we just do in the morning a little activation with the ball and stretching and if late match we do easy session in the morning where you jump but nothing very intense we do it uh, short but just to activate muscles and before games in the training camps in off season our sport is seasonal so off season in winter time we start like after your season is over, you take a rest and then we start with the preparation uh, for sure. You, you build the base, you work on the endurance. So running, bike, uh, longer distance, but you do it like short period. And then we start doing uh, also endurance, but with intervals because our sport is interval sports. So what we do, so you do like a little bit faster run, slowly juggle, then faster juggle that not just running in one rhythm. And because when you're doing all this interval sport in one rhythm, you become slow. And in our sport, explosiveness is a key. And uh, when we start working with a gym, first of all, for sure, we work on our deep muscles. One month, I hate it the most. When you do need to do on a deep muscle with many repetitions, with, you know, without small weights and big amount of repetitions. So you strengthen your body. Then we start to work with big weights to reach maximum. So you have become strong. And as closer it comes to the season, you start to reduce weight and uh, increase the speed how you do all this exercise. So we do for all uh, muscles and because it's playing sports, what is really important, I've seen many times the people are practicing, they're running only in one direction. Also, like running, exercise, just go straight. It's not a track and field. So we are not running just on the line straight. You have to run in any direction. You can run forward to the sides, backwards, everywhere. You don't know where the opponent is going to put the ball. So this is one of the keys that when I started to work with my coach, he need to learn how to change his program because before he was mostly working with the track and field athletes. And for him, he needed to develop all the exercise so we can... Um, uh, work in uh, all three planes. Yeah, that's how it uh, starts to work. Usually in the, in the preparation, we, we work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is day off, Friday, Saturday, we practice, Sunday is off. And we practice three times a day. So we have uh, 15 wow. sessions, uh, 15 sessions a, day, a week. We practice in the morning, we do some running sprints, jumping exercises, uh, we throw, uh, we do with medicine ball, with a shot put ball, we do some throwing exercises. Second practice, we do volleyball, technical, and uh, and then in the evening gym. That's so, an amazing uh, regiment. Like that's yeah. And this is how we work first ten years of my career, and uh, and this is the key why we we always had our best results at the end of the season, because most of the teams we are not very tall. Our strength was endurance. And when it was really hot tournaments, I know it's going to be hard for me, but I know it's going to be way harder for the opponent. And th that's where 
the place where I can beat them. Because even the regular conditions, when it's cool weather, not deep sand, uh, the big guys they're just hitting over me, and then just a phys uh, I'm only six six, and we have guys like seven two, seven one playing, and uh, like just you can jump high, but uh, I was never a high jumper, so the only way I can uh, to play smart to, to beat them with endurance. You mentioned your coach earlier. There was an article published in 2021 about. Marco Salustri, who, who was one time your coach. Marco's kind of a, a volleyball legend, especially in Italy. He's won a number of titles, five golds and two silver medals in the world championships. You know, in that article, he's quoted as saying, a coach should change his methods to be in line with the players. What was it like to work with him? And how do you see, you've had different coaches. You mentioned your father. We know Marco was one of them. I'm sure there's been others. Have they all adapted to you or have you had to learn to adapt to their style? Using my more coaches, no, actually, my father was my first coach and the only coach for the first 16 years. And uh, and then I just came to the moment, I said, like, okay, you're already going to the training camps, you know, all the drills, you know, all the regimes, that how it's all going to happen. And it's like mentally was a little bit tough. And that's why it was one of the harder decisions uh, that when I changed the coach also, in our relationships, father and son, and but I, I understood that in one moment that we needed for our team to get new emotion, new vision, uh, because my father already said I was 34, and he said like, oh, come on, you can't improve anything already. I teach you everything, and you just need to keep stay healthy and keep your physical conditions uh, on the good levels, and just you can beat any any team. Yeah. But I still believed I can improve many things and he can teach me because maybe he don't see this or he don't know how to fix this. When I had a coach, my father, he had uh, he worked with five teams in his, uh, in his life, his, his coaching life. And with all five teams, he qualified to Olympics. That's why he's like 100%, <laughs> no, uh, five out of five. And I knew that uh, with such a high-level coach, I need... Uh, not the lowest level, so so I can still develop. And then we agreed with Lustri. He was the coach at that time with the best Italian team, Carambolo Rossi. And I knew him since uh, I played on tour. We are like one family. You know, it's like men's club, traveling from one place to another, having training camps together, living in one hotel, traveling with the same planes and shuttle buses and practicing each other until the moment we are against each other on the court. So I knew him and yeah, we agreed and we started to work, but my father learned discipline so hard. Like for him, if you've seen uh, movies uh, about Marines, for sure, you, you know, this like stereotype, how like this general, not general, usually like surgeon, like those, how strict they are, like, oh yeah, do this, run, crawl, jump, run. So it was approximately the same, the way uh, how my father were coaching us. So I don't think it was hard to work with me for Salustri. It was more harder because we were already stars. How to deal that with our egos probably sometimes. But as athletes, we were always, me and Yanis, we were always very disciplined. We never party. We always go for practice. We work hard during practice. You don't need to say twice what to do. We never, we never say, oh, I you know I feel lazy today. It never happened with us. But we always had our opinions. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but Kim, this translates into your world, right, in the bodybuilding space. There are two things that Alex has said here that resonate with me. One is, is as a professional, bringing the discipline. And the other was, is 
as a coach, you're you're looking for that individual's strengths. You're catering to that personality, and you know you're looking for ways to motivate and help them improve. What are your thoughts on how that transcends between volleyball and your world of bodybuilding? You know, the the discipline is a transferable skill. I say that's that's applicable in any sport. And the more discipline that you have, the further you're going to go faster. And when I and I get excited hearing him, I get excited hearing you talk, Alexander, because I love that discipline. It is a passion for me. You know, to me, the the sports piece of it and hitting your goals is so exciting. So when I when I hear you talk about the fact that, you know, you weren't slacking off and y'all weren't partying and you kept your head on straight as far as what your goals are, I think there's a certain amount of maturity as an athlete, as a professional athlete, that sets you apart that you know you've kind of arrived in that scene. And I see this a lot in bodybuilding and in coaching where you know when people are still at more what I would consider an amateur level when their mindset hasn't caught up to that level of discipline yet, where they're still saying, you know, oh, I need this break. Okay, good. I have a little bit of off season. I can relax. I can let down. You know, I don't have to train as hard or work as hard. And then you get to this point where something flips, you know, and, and it's it's something that I experienced myself when I turned pro in bodybuilding, where I wanted to put my best effort 24-7 all year round. It never turned off. And that's when I saw the biggest gains to improve. And that's the same thing that we see when we're coaching athletes is that when your mindset shifts into a constant 24-7, no, this is this is my lifestyle. This is not just something I do for a few days or a few weeks at a time, but this is where I want to live. And when you when that mindset happens, it just seems to trigger all sorts of successes. Yeah, but that speaks to something a little bit greater, right? And Alex has alluded to this, right? It takes a certain degree of mental conditioning, like mental toughness, mental fortitude to be an elite athlete, right? And I mean, suffer. Yeah. You have to be able, you have to be, you have to be able yeah. to suffer, right? Yeah. You, uh, my father saying that your mentality of an athlete is like best athletes is, are these athletes who can uh, handle uh, the pain, handle tiredness, handle uh, mental pain and uh, handle like if you have micro injuries. So these guys, uh, because during in, in important moments of the game, when it's uh, last points, it's hot weather, you are tired, you have pain in your muscles, you barely breathing, this is a moment when you can uh, beat your opponents. Because for sure, they, they feel the same. They are the same human, they did the uh, same amount of work. And this is a moment when uh, if you handle pain, you just don't give up, you beat that. And this is the difference if you're on the podium, standing with a medal, or you are outside the podium. Yes, I totally agree. And it's, you know, the the level of pain is directly proportionate to your level of success. The more you can overcome, the more you grow your confidence. And I, and that's what that mentality that just flips on all the time. But the more you, the, I know it sounds crazy because people are like, why do I have to suffer? I'm like, no, it is part of, if you want to get to the highest level, the more that you can suffer, the more that you can understand what to do in those situations where you don't panic, where you don't say, oh, no, this is not this is not going to work. What do I do? You have the experience behind you to lean on. You know what to do. You've been there before. It separates you from everybody else. Yeah, you have to be able to mentally push yourself to a new limit, rise above what you thought your ceiling was and get to the next step. Do you have any particular like mental strategies that you like to lean on to help you achieve that sort of next level of eliteness? On one point uh, of my career, I understood that uh, I need to start, I need help from outside to handle uh, the pressure, the stress, and that, that the moment I started to go to sport psychologist. 
And the first thing she learned teach me was breathing exercises. Breathing exercise, how you can relax. First of all, can you relax your, relax your muscles? And uh, second thing, how you can close your mind for all your thoughts you have. Because most of the time, especially young athletes, hardest part is before tournament when you think, when you can't sleep, when you think about, oh, tomorrow is an important game, and you can't sleep, and you all the day, you say and uh, think about this, and then you wake up and you feel like, oh, I'm so tired. Game is not started yet, I'm already tired because of like this mental <laughs> pressure. It's really important. So breathing exercise and also breathing during the game. Because most of the time you see, especially you see the kids when they're stressed like this, when they can't breathe in the crucial moments, you can always see in different sports when they're like, breathe in and they become so stiff. So like all the movements stiff. And this is also the moment when they can get injured. So the, the, best, uh, the best way in the crucial moments, uh, the opposite, not to breathe in, but to breathe out. So your body relaxed and you can make a soft touch, like a soft throw or a touch with a ball or any, any other discipline. So not to handle oxygen inside you. So, so you need to be like more relaxed uh, to perform, perform well. So it was a key thing. And uh, another thing that helps me really a lot in uh, also in stressful situation during the games, it's uh, to speak to, my, uh, to myself and speak loud. Not inside your brain, but just to say, Okay, Alex, let's now just relax and focus on this ball, make a good reception and precise side out. So you say it loud, like, okay, not saying loud, but you just, just, you just say it, crowd uh, is loud, probably nobody will hear it. My part in the beginning was like, you saying something? So I'm like, no, 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 I'm telling it to myself. <laughs> and then, yeah, yeah, and then he, then he was okay with this. And uh, this also helps. Yeah, that's fantastic, though. You're, you're speaking out loud to give yourself the proper mindset to perform for the next volley. You said something a moment ago about injury. It takes a lot of mental fortitude to deal with injury. With injury becomes frustration, disappointment, anxiety. Do you have any particular methods for you know, how you deal with those situations? First of all, it's like you need to work hard to prevent injuries. And that's what's uh, all happening in your off-season. When you build base, you work hard on your body not to have injuries. I remember when, you, when I was young and people saying, okay, you need to warm up properly, do this uh, exercises for uh, deep muscles. And when you are young, you like, you show up to practice, move your shoulder, okay, I'm ready to play. And, you can just, and I see the same with a young player. Like, they show up, do like two sit-ups, a little bit, a uh, few rotation, okay, I'm ready to go. Now I want to come and say, like, please, guys, warm up. After uh, 10 yeah. years, your, knee, your knees will tell you thank you for this. <laughs> when, when you're not young, you say, like, ah, come on, these old guys talking. I don't need warm up. I'm already warm. Come on, it's 30 degrees outside. Uh, why you need to warm up? So, yeah, it's 30 degrees outside, but inside your muscle, your muscle is tight. <laughs> and then, in fact, yeah. And uh, how to deal, uh, just... It's hard. It's hard. But uh, what I realized that after injury, usually the best results are coming. Because when you're injured and you can't play, this is the moment you become hungry. You become very hungry. And when you get back on court, when you finally healthy and you can perform on your highest level, that's the moment you start to show results much better than you had before injury. I really like what you said about, this is a really good point that you made about the idea of 
the perfect state is to avoid injury, right? Because a lot of people take a lot of time to prepare. What do I do when I get injured? And yeah. optimally, you want to do everything you can to make sure that you are in the best shape of your life so that you don't have to deal with the injury. And then, and I love that you said that you didn't say that's when you're at your worst. You said after that is when you're at your best, which is amazing. And it speaks to your, your mental strength and your positivity. Like any career, not only sport, in any career, you can, you, you can go just smooth. You have up and downs and yes. usually injuries. It's, it's a kind of signal of our body that, come on, man, it's time to a little bit calm down. Yeah. And then uh, otherwise you just go and go and we are not robots and we can just keep on going. And if you sometimes our bodies, if you're not listening to your body, then body says, OK, if you're not listening to me, uh, listening for signals, here it is. Here's injury. So now sit and relax and <laughs> evaluate what you're doing. Yep. Deal with it. Yep. So, you know, there's one other aspect to sort of the, the, the mental toughness component of this, right? And that's, Alex, you, you play a team sport. You have a partner on the court. You played with a few different people over the years. And adapting to, new, to a new partner, their personality, their style of play, there's a certain mental space that you have to put yourself in to, to handle that. What's that been like for you? So I, would, I would say like beach volleyball is even worse than team sport because team sport, I remember I played basketball. So we are a team of 10 people minimum and the coach. And uh, when you win the games, everything is well. Like everything's good, everyone's happy. But the problem comes when you're losing. And with the basketball, I remember, okay, today this guy missed the last, uh, last shot and uh, to the strategy was a bad. So probably it's coach fault. And, you know, as human, we usually looking for uh, try to find other people uh, fault in our problems and saying uh, losses. Okay, so, yeah, it's like I made ten mistakes, but he could give me a better set, you know, or uh, like, Place or could put yeah, or could, uh, he could make at least one ace or uh, stuff like this. And uh, so in team sports, we're always like, okay, you can have a little conflict in this, uh, with this player, but still you have other players you can communicate. In, when you're a team of two and you start losing games, it's always like between him and me. It was a problem. Usually, like, why beach volleyball players are changing uh, partners pretty, pretty often. And I spend with him more, uh, more time than with my wife. When we spend in court during competition, it's maybe like 3% of our uh, partnership. And most of the time we spend in the room, we spend like uh, traveling. And this is like small things. If you can avoid small conflicts outside this uh, in a life of 97%, then even if you have conflict during the game, it's still your, your team will be strong. And the most important, we, we never had, uh, we ne never made uh, emotional decisions. So usually after heartbreaking losses, we just go separate ways, just meet after one hour in the room or somewhere and then we talk and then it's can be you can uh, speak not with emotions you can uh, speak with the facts and uh, this was a key moment and this was one with yanis who played already 11 years with smedins yeah so the first thing my father said is that never beat him hard during practice when you play one against one like small competition so like because he can uh, he's his alter ego wouldn't uh, will, will suffer and it's like it wouldn't be good for your team like my partner before my partner said my father said okay beat him hard so he you will raise his level yes there's a lot of psychology to it isn't there that's true that's what coaches should do they yeah. uh, need to find a way how to make teams strong you know probably you know this uh, famous story 
about Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal when Kobe Bryant came and he started and, and uh, Phil Jackson said, come on, Kobe, give a ball to Shaq. He said, yeah, but I'm scoring. I'm good. I feel good. So yeah, yeah, but we are losing Shaq. And the team, we are not getting maximum out of it. So right. it's, uh, it's the way also on our teams. My father said, like, don't try all the time to win hard and to prove something. So it wouldn't be good for our team. Prove it on the court when you play against other uh, players, not against when you play in practice against each other. Not very smart. There's actually a little bit of marriage advice in there, too. Yeah, marriage advice, number one thing is to talk to each other. It was the same in the, in the team. So if you have something inside, just talk to each other. Very smart. Very smart. And I, I love the approach where if you've suffered a defeat or you have some frustration, you take a little bit of time, you reflect on it, and then you come together and talk. That's for any team sport. That's great advice. So I'm going to take you back to South Africa. You, you, you were talking a little bit about how in South Africa you had to do so many matches in one day that, you know, it was, it was hot, just a tough day in general. What nutrition did you rely on to carry you through and make sure you had peak performance during that, during that period? So, yeah, at, at the 2013 was when we won, became first in the world ranking. I was 28. And actually before I wasn't like, so as I told you, I was just sleep well, eat well, and uh, maybe add some uh, protein during uh, off-season when you work a lot, not to lose muscles, because when you have three practice a day, it's really important just to, to keep your muscles. And, but that moment when I started to have this, real, I always had cramps, but I never took like really care of this. In 2013, when it really could affect my career, I realized, okay, it's like a small, it wasn't injury, but it was a moment like I realized, okay, I need to do something with it. I started to prepare the first one, I started to do cool down after every practice, after every game. Doesn't matter if you play in one hour, one hour and a half, still I will go and do 10 minutes cool down, just do easy running, seven minutes. I did a test to understand after how many minutes my lactate starts to go down. So I started to do this and it really helped me. I reduce uh, like cramping uh, like by 10 times. So just by 10 minutes, uh, easy running, stretching after uh, intense game. I started to take some medicines. So I tried many things, electrolytes, different electrolytes. I found one product, EFS Pro, that helped me a lot. So I started to buy this product. For sure, there are a lot of products and you just need to try what, what helps your body best. And this was a product that really affected I can feel that, uh, okay, I will start have cramping. So I just take a drink, make a drink, make a shake. All the rest, uh, I just try to eat healthy, eat a lot of vitamins. And for sure in wintertime, with our climate, when you have long nights, uh, no sun, so you're taking vitamin D, vitamin C, and uh, magnesium, uh, always like to have less uh, cramping. Sometimes some uh, gels before the game where I don't feel like enough energy and during the game I drink electrolytes, uh, recovery drinks after games in the evening before going to sleep. So are you preparing your food in advance in bulk? Are you just preparing, you know, your food for the week or how does that work? It depends where we're playing. If we are playing in the countries, I know, okay, there will be good food. Food is pretty, pretty okay in uh, all the uh, countries. Sometimes if we go to training camps in some areas, I'm not sure about. Or when we have tournaments in Asia, usually that's the tournaments when a lot of players bring their food in the canes and uh, stuff like that. And in training camps, they usually most of the time uh, we cook ourselves 
for dinner we go somewhere out but uh, lunch uh, lunch and breakfast we do ourselves and uh, if i need to put my energy in a training process and a competition because that's why i'm not eating meat and some people say oh you eat meat in the evening so like it's hard but it's too heavy how you go sleep with the amount of energy i spend is just i go sleep and when i sleep uh, my body can digest digest all uh, this hard uh, meal and then i get everything from it and not like with full uh, stomach i go and uh, practice i don't have four hours between practices in the uh, right. training camp so right. that's yeah. why i eat uh, meat and fish in the, in the evening and that's sorry i had no problems with weight so you just till through your everything well so well you just go keep on working at the age of 30 something changes my body and i realize that i need to start to think what i'm eating how much i absorb and uh, uh, reduce sweets and the one thing i reduce i love eggs for breakfast because i i felt that like i eating eggs and i'm like pumping uh, yeah. says, oh come on put a stand away how how uh, what's your weight now I'm like, come on stop <laughs> eating sweets <I'm> like, oh, <laughs> You know, we had the we had the opportunity to talk to another professional volleyball player that you might know. His name's Evan Corey. He's yeah, I know. Yeah. notorious for the blue nose. We, we were talking yeah. about the same thing with him, you know, relative to nutrition and in um, Team USA provides them with a nutritionist. Do you enjoy the same luxury? We have the same. We have nutritionists in the Olympic, uh, Olympic team, but I never it serious. <laughs> because every time I come and say like I eat this, I say, oh, you need to reduce this, you need to reduce sweets. I love sweets. I can't reduce them. I said like I better do one exercise rather than reduce sweets. I, I, I like my chocolate and uh, my wife doing perfect Sunday pancakes and she's like, oh no no no, pancakes not good. Yeah, I say, but can I can I have it just Sunday morning uh, on my day oh, yeah. off with family? Can I have right. uh, my ten, 10 pancakes? I was in this area. I was really bad student. <laughs> so. The bad student, I like that. But you know, everybody's body is different, right? So, like, you because your body is so used to this high level of energy and production and activity that I imagine your metabolism and your body is just can, can churn and process most things pretty easily. And I would not think that you know, once every so often having a stack of homemade pancakes, I don't think that would deter a whole lot. I wouldn't imagine. He sounds like a man after my own heart, doesn't he, Kim? Like some of the, some of the same <laughs> attitudes about food. <laughs> yes, yes. We're kind of coming to the end of the season, relatively. What does the rest of this year look like? What does next year look like? So actually now you you call me in the right moment. Uh, this is our last tournament of our team. Eros, Mother Smerins is over. We played 11 years together. We achieved so, so many we got, uh, we won 13 uh, medals uh, on the world tour and we've been three times world ranking champion. In, in our profession, it's really hard when I was studying in banking systems, like all my, uh, like my friends from universities, they were like developing their careers step by step by step. And now at the age of 40s, they have really good positions in the banks or uh, financial institutions. But in professional sports, it's very brutal that at the age of 40, you, you are young as a man, yes. but you are old as an athlete. Yes. And at the age of 40, you just have to stop. And uh, your life begins, I would say, like from zero, where the kids uh, started at 20 year, uh, year old uh, building their careers. You need to start to live and work normal job or 
They were, okay, if you stay as a coach, still you can share your experience. It's a huge problem, actually, in professional sport that uh, I was a part of a study about dual career when, uh, like most of the time, professional athletes, they just put everything in a pro sport. And at the age of 40, they get they finish their career and okay if they're number one stars probably they will keep on going with their names but uh, all the other athletes still they were really good athletes maybe they're not olympic champions but they were best even like of their continent or the country they're not olympic champions they can't get on the top of the top but uh, still they're really good athletes and they get into a huge depression and it's a huge problem for professional athletes they get most of the like percentage of NBA players who get bankrupt after five years of their professional career, even if they're multimillionaires, all it's it's enormous. Yeah, this actually it's the hardest part of my life coming now, but I'm well prepared. And yeah, this will be the last tournament of our team. You're leaving behind an incredible legacy. You've had some absolutely inspiring accomplishments. I just want to thank you for being here today and, and having this conversation with us. I think there's going to be a lot of younger players that hear this and who can take some advice from a man who's been through it all. Good luck. Thanks for invite. It was a nice conversation. Yes. yes. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Good luck in the rest of the tournament this week. I'll be watching. I want to see how you finish. We will we'll certainly be rooting for you. Join us again next time on the Inspired Fitness Podcast. Until then, we wish you a healthy mind, a healthy body and healthy habits. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Inspired Fitness, leading you to a healthy mind, healthy body, and healthy habits. To stay inspired, visit us at inspiredfitness.net. That's I-N-S-P-I-R-D.net. Until next time, stay inspired.